2 Timothy 3, verse 15. From childhood, you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Who or what is it that rules over your life? What's in charge? What is the governing principle that operates in your every move? What governs your every move, your desires, your plans? What is in charge? Because each and every person has something that puts a boundary around their life and how far they will go in this direction and how far they will go in that direction. For some people, these boundaries are very strict. For others, they are almost non-existent. And yet, as we come to Scripture, as we come to the Bible, we see that the truth is abundantly clear. It is the Word of God that is the authority. Now, let me tell you this, that the Word of God is not just the authority for the life of the Christian. It's not just the authority for the church, but the Word of God is the authority that rules over everything. There are many people who do not come under that rule, who reject it and who turn from it, but the Word of God is the authority over all. As I said earlier, in this month of February, we will spend our Sunday mornings looking and studying what it means to be under the Word of God. What is this Word of God? What is the Bible? Why is it so important? Why is it critical? And as we go through these things, we will see the marvel and the majesty of God's Word. We will grasp its power and its effect, but we will also see something that is most important, that this comes from God. And this first sermon in this series is foundational because it tells us that God's Word has authority. It's not suggestive. It's not an optional extra. It's not something that we, we desire to see. But what we do see in it is that God speaks to us, and He speaks to us with great power, and He speaks to us with His authority. This book of Second Timothy, towards the end of the, the New Testament, is the second letter that Paul wrote to his young friend, a man called Timothy. And as Paul writes this letter, he's languishing in the notorious, the filthy, the dangerous Mamertine prison in Rome. This was where Rome put its most objectionable prisoners. The Mamertine prison really was underground, and through the Mamertine prison there ran a sewer, and the prisoners were covered in the effluent and the sewage that would run through. It was a horrible place, and Rome put the people that she considered to be the worst criminals, the worst offenders in this prison, and Paul was there. He knew that in but a few days or weeks, he would go from that prison and be taken and be put to death. He knew the end was near, but he's not stuck in prison, 
frustrated or regretful. He knows his life is coming to an end, but he can only think of one thing. He wants to honor God. He wants to lift up Jesus Christ. And he longs that his young friend, his young mentee, or his young disciple, Timothy, would come and simply be with him. And so what's at the heart of this pastoral epistle that Paul writes is his encouragement to a young man called Timothy to stay faithful to Christ, to remain faithful to the authority of God's Word. Because the first thing that we see regarding the authority of God's Word here is it has the authority, it has the jurisdiction to transform. Look at verse 15. It says this, from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation. You know, Timothy was this young man that Paul trusted. Paul knew Timothy so well. Uh, But as a servant of God, Paul understood something about the heart of Timothy. He knew that Timothy was faithful to God. He knew that Timothy wanted to see the gospel preached, but also that Timothy was somebody who tended to wilt under pressure. He was somebody who was intimidated by those round about him, be they people of the world or indeed, more likely, people of the church. Paul had earlier written in 1 Timothy 4 verse 12, Timothy, let no one, let nobody look down on your youthfulness. Timothy had found himself being attacked because he was a young man. And Paul says, stand firm against those who try to write you off because you're young. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, Paul again writes to Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and and discipline. Why did Paul encourage Timothy with these words unless Timothy was timid and he was fearful? And then again in 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul says, be diligent, be diligent, be careful to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately holding the word of truth. Timothy, don't be embarrassed by God's Word. Don't worry about what God's Word says. Just be faithful to it. Because God's Word has the authority to transform. Why does it have authority to transform? Well, it shows the way. Paul takes Timothy right back. He takes him right back to his early days when he was just an infant. From childhood, you've known Timothy's mother, Eunice, and Timothy's grandmother, Lois, had no doubt bounced Timothy on their knee, as all parents and grandparents tend to do. And as they spent that time with the young boy, Timothy, they shared God's Word. Timothy was covered by God's Word. He was immersed in early church referred to the Old Testament. They didn't have the full Bible as we have it, but they would have the the Old Testament. And that was what Timothy's family grounded their life upon. As they grew up in the city of Lystra there in Asia Minor, that's like modern-day Turkey, uh, they spent time studying and reading and living according to the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, they saw God in the law, the first five books, Genesis through to Deuteronomy, and how God established creation and how God established uh, his nation Israel and how God promised salvation. 
They saw God in the history books of Joshua through to Esther. And yes, they saw the faithlessness of Israel. They saw the discipline that had to be brought to Israel, but they also saw the powerful hand of God working in the life of that nation, Israel, restoring them from their failure and proving time and time and time again that God is sovereign, that God is holy, and that God is God of His people. In the books of poetry, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, they, they would have seen the wisdom and the beauty of God's Word, thrilling their hearts and their souls. And then in the prophets, Isaiah through to Malachi, the Word that pointed forward to a future time of deliverance because of the sinfulness, yes, of Israel and of Judah, but the sinfulness of man pointing forward to a deliverer, pointing forward to the end of time. And as Timothy and his family studied and read, they received this wisdom because it was God's Word that had authority over their lives. Wisdom that showed the holiness, the majesty, the love, the grace, the mercy, even the salvation of God. And it was this wisdom that led to salvation. This wisdom that shows the way. This wisdom that had the authority to transform the lives of Timothy because it brought him to God's redemption. God's Word has authority to transform any person because it is a holy Word. It is a pure Word. It is a Word of power. It is a Word that comes direct from the, the lips of God. God's Word, the Bible, points us with great force to the danger of sin, but also to the amazing and wonderful salvation that is open and available to us in Jesus Christ. That is transformation. Taking the sinner who is lost and changing him and cleansing him or her and saving them for all eternity. God's Word shows the way, but God's Word, still in verse 15, reveals the Savior. It is through faith which is in Christ Jesus. God's Word shows us His Deliverer. And it was through the faithful preaching and teaching of God's Word that Timothy came to salvation. It was God word, God's Word that taught Timothy about Jesus Christ and his deed to be delivered from sin. Well, there may have been somebody telling Timothy. It might have been Lois or Eunice. It might even have been Paul. But somebody uh, was opening God's Word and it came into Timothy's heart. And it was faith in Jesus Christ that transformed him. It was the authority of Jesus Christ coming into his heart that changed them. And Timothy encountered Jesus Christ, the one who is the way, the truth, the life, the one who is the only person who could have taken our place on the cross. Let me ask you a, a general knowledge question, a trivia question, although it's not trivial, but what is the first verse in the Bible that points us to Jesus Christ? It's Genesis 1 verse 1 the very first verse in the Bible. And it says this, in the beginning, God. But that word God is actually in the plural. Not just a God, but God, the three persons of the Trinity. And so we see that in the Bible from Genesis 1 verse 1, right the way through to Revelation 22 verse 21, Jesus Christ is in each and every verse, in each and every portion. He is woven through Scripture. Oh yes, we'll read verses where he's not explicitly mentioned. We'll read verses that even do not seem to refer to him. But Jesus Christ is in God's Word because, as we read in John chapter 1, verse 1, he is the Word. 
And He is the one who has the authority to change the worst sinner to the holiest saint. He has authority to forgive sin. He has the ability to give eternal life. And so let me ask you this morning, are you transformed by the authority of God's Word? Have you come under the teaching of God's Word that says you are a sinner and you must be saved? Oh, it has authority to transform. But God's Word has a further authority. And we go into verse 16, we see that God's Word has authority to teach. Timothy hadn't just become a Christian and simply stayed the same. You know, if a, a baby is born, and as the days and weeks pass, that baby doesn't grow or change, there is medical concern over that baby. When Timothy was born, that new birth, that new life, he didn't just become a Christian and, and stay right at that very beginning point. He grew he developed, he matured, he learned because God's Word had authority to teach him. All that changed in his life was because as he read God's Word, as he heard God's Word preached, he was taught and he was filled with the truth of Scripture. And God's Word has authority to teach. And we see at the beginning of verse 16, it has authority to teach because it is from God God's Word is, is from God. And we have to take note of how much Scripture we are talking about here. It doesn't say some of the Bible is God's Word. It doesn't say a portion of the Bible is God's Word. It doesn't say a part or even the majority of the Bible is God's Word. It says all Scripture. You know, it's important at times that we, we know something about church history. And if we go back into the 19th century, we see that in the Church of Scotland, that church established in the days of John Knox and with much credit and good work behind it, the Church of Scotland reached a crossroads. And in the colleges and the universities, it began to be taught that the Bible contained the Word of God. You see the subtle difference there? Not that the Bible was the Word of God, but that it contained the Word of God. Well, how did anybody have any certainty that if they read a verse that it was the Word of God? Because that might be one of those verses that, that wasn't the Word of God. And this scandal and this difficulty engulfed the Church of Scotland. It actually led to a split that eventually became the, the Free Church of Scotland. But there was that question mark that was raised in the faltering hearts of men and women in those days, that perhaps the Bible was not completely the Word of God. And yet we have this verse that says, all Scripture is inspired by God. And we must understand that it comes from God. That word inspired means that God breathed it out. He gave it. He communicated it. Jeremiah 1 verse 9 says, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth, the prophet Jeremiah receiving the inspiration of God. And all those who wrote down these words that are in Scripture were under the holy and the inspired and the divine majesty of God giving His Word. And that is how we receive Scripture. We don't receive it from voices in the air. We don't receive it from voices in our head. We receive Scripture from God alone. Oh yes, the Holy Spirit speaks to us. But what is perfect, what is pure, what is complete 
is the Bible, and that is why it has the authority to teach us. If I was to go to somebody like Chris and say to Chris, well, your piano playing is good, but it could be better. What authority do I have to do that? Because I can't even play a tune on the piano. If I was to go to an electrician or a carpenter or a plumber or a solicitor or a doctor and say, you need to do this to do it better. I have no authority to do that because I have no knowledge. But God's word comes to us. And it has the complete authority over us because it's from God. Why? Well, firstly, God wrote it. But secondly, God knows us because he made us. And God knows all creation because he made everything. And that is his authority because he is the author not only of his word, but of all life and of all creation and of all heaven. And so no matter how difficult, no matter how awkward, no matter even how unpalatable parts of Scripture may be to us, it has the jurisdiction over our life because it is from God. But it also has authority to teach because it gives knowledge. Look at the next portion of verse 16. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for what? For teaching. That word profitable, take note of it. We understand what a prophet is. At the end of the day, you're left with more than you started with. And here it means something similar. It means it's beneficial to us. It means it's productive in us. It means it is sufficient for us. This is the Word of God. It is profitable for teaching. It is for our good. God teaches us for our good. You know, we love to go to those verses that say, love your neighbor. We love to go to those verses such as Jeremiah 29, for I know the plans I have for you, declare the Lord. Plans not for your harm, but for what? For our blessing, our benefit, our good. But we're not so keen to go to those verses that say, you shall have no other gods before me. Oh, in our minds we like it, but in our hearts we're saying yes, but I've got this, that, and the other. There are parts of the Bible that are so difficult for us to take on board. Why? Because we're human and we have a sinful heart. But it's profitable for teaching. Everything we read in Scripture is for our good. It builds us up in our knowledge of God. It draws us closer to Him as we walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. That knowledge, that experience that the knowledge of God's Word uh, gives us is essential to us as we would walk in His ways and His path. We have to learn more and more about God, about the Lord Jesus Christ, about His statutes. And we have to take note of what Scripture would tell us and see that it is much more than a memory exercise. And let me tell you, I believe greatly in the memorizing of Scripture. But it has to be more than that. How was it the psalmist avoided sinning against God? but he stored, he treasured, he laid up in his heart the Word of God. Unless we get to the important point that the Bible, Scripture is all for our benefit and our goodness, and then we will miss what God intends for us. And we cannot miss out on God pouring out all of his goodness into us through his Word. 
because he has the authority to say these things. He has the authority to teach these things. He has the authority and the jurisdiction to demand all of these things. Because we see that the authority to teach is also the authority to put wrong right. The authority to put wrong right. Verse 16 continues and it says, it's profitable for teaching, yes, but it's also profitable for reproof or for correction. Not or, and for correction. God's word rebukes everything that is wrong. This word reproof means that the error, the misbehavior, the false doctrine is set aside, but it is also put right. God's word is so that the wrongdoer might be convicted. And that correction that comes as well tells us that rightness is restored. It's a bit like the piece of furniture that's found in a house that has been shut up for many years, that antique bit of furniture, and as you go in, you see it, it is scraped and scratched, it is dusty, the legs are falling off, and you get a furniture restorer who comes along and who dusts it down and who French polishes all of the scrapes and scratches and reattaches the legs to the point that it is indistinguishable from a new piece of furniture. It's also like some of these television programs you get where a person will go and buy a car, a vintage car. And by vintage, I don't just mean a Ford Sierra. I mean something like a Morris Minor or even further back, a Model T. And they buy something like that and they, they take it home and it's clapped out and it's broken. And they put it in their garage and they spend days, months, years working not just to polish it, but to put a new engine in it and a new suspension and it's restored to its former glory. This is the authority that God's word has over your life. To put those things that are wrong right. Only God's word could have such authority to teach Timothy. Only God's word could have the authority to teach us are we come to God's word to be taught so that it would have a greater influence over our life? One of the things that I've found in my life, and as some of you know, I, I play a wee bit of guitar, is that I've got so far down the road learning to play the guitar and I suddenly realize, well, I can do pretty much everything I want to and I don't need to learn anymore. And so all of a sudden, I find that not only have I stopped going forward, but actually I've gone backwards. We can't treat God's word like that, that we get so far and think that we know it all because what will happen when we stop learning from God's word is that we will slip backwards and that's why we are to, to read it every day because it illuminates our mistakes and it helps us put them right. It can be an uncomfortable experience, of course it can. But ultimately, the authority of the teaching of God's word brings us closer to him. Perhaps you can remember back to your school days Easier for some than others, I suppose. It's okay, there are people in this room that are younger than me, so I'm not just uh, pointing at anybody. But in some subjects, we would get our, our jotter back from the teacher. And all the homework and all the work that we've done is there and it has been assessed and there's Red Cross after Red Cross. 
And it could be frustrating that, couldn't it? Because you suddenly are being told you're wrong. But you don't know why you're wrong. That is why the great teachers were those who said, yes, you're wrong, but here's what you need to do to put it right. Here's what you need to do the next time so that when you do that calculation or you construct that sentence or you translate from that language, you will get it right. And yes, the red crosses were there, but there's also the instruction. And that is what God's Word does for us as it teaches us. Oh, it shows us where we've gone wrong. And we don't need to travel and journey too far to see where we go wrong. But through the power of His Word, it tells us where to go to put it right. Where do we go to put it right? Do we look inside ourselves for the answers? No. Do we look at the world around us for the answers? No. We flee. We run to the side of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when we confess our sin, He's faithful. He's true. To forgive us of that sin and what? But to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have an advocate with the Father who speaks on our behalf, and that is why we have to submit ourselves to God's Word. That's why we have to come under it. We have to act in obedience to it. That brings us on to the third and the final element of the authority of God's Word in this passage. Let me tell you, the authority of God's Word is not just contained in one or two verses, but the whole of Scripture. At the end of verse 16 to verse 17, we see that God's Word has authority to train. Paul had looked after Timothy. He'd taken Timothy with him to various places. He'd given Timothy the opportunity to develop and to learn and to do things. He'd trained Timothy. And he's encouraging Timothy here, well, Timothy, you're in Ephesus. It's about time you were training others. In other words, it's one thing to know what is right and what is wrong, but it's entirely another thing to address them and to live them and to do what is right and to avoid what is wrong. And Paul makes it most clear here that it is the Word of the living God who instructs and trains. Firstly, it trains in righteousness. Don't really need to do much of a word study here to see what it means. At the end of verse 16, it says it's profitable for what? For, for training in righteousness. Just as a child is trained by parents, so the Christian is trained by their heavenly Father through His Word. The expectation, indeed the necessity, is that we have an, edu an education from God that is productive. You know, nobody's saved and automatically has all of the knowledge, has all of the ability, all of the experience that is required. It is only training that brings that, but it is training that heads and leads us in one direction alone. It takes us on the path of righteousness. You know, we do not read the Bible and study it and put into practice what it says and find that we are further from God, that we are more sinful, that we are more disobedient. No, it is the exact opposite. As we put into practice all of that the Bible teaches us, we are closer to God. We sin less. Oh yes, we still sin, but we hate it. And that is a speciality of the training of God's Word in righteousness. To desire to live more and more in accordance with God's law and His standards. And the more we desire it, 
It's funny, the more we will do it. And so do you learn more about God every day? Do I learn more about God every day? Do I understand more of what His Word teaches me and do you? It should be a daily activity that we not only read it, but that we apply it to be trained in righteousness. But this training into verse 17 is training in completeness. Why are we trained? So that the man, the person of God may be adequate. Oh yes, the Bible may interest the non-believer. There are people, believe it or not, who go to university to study the Bible. They're not Christians, they're atheists, but it tickles their ears. I remember watching The Apprentice a few years ago, and one of the candidates there got a first-class honours degree from either Cambridge or Oxford, you know, one of the top universities in theology, and he was an atheist. He knew more about the Bible than perhaps a large percentage and proportion of Christians, but he was an atheist. He had just studied it to prove that he could do it. That was his reason. The Christian does not approach the Word of God for that reason. The Christian approaches the Word of God with expectation that they will be trained. Timothy here is referred to as a man of God. He's the only person in the New Testament referred to in that way. But in the Old Testament, speaking about somebody as being a person of God was actually speaking about those who proclaimed the Word of God. Now, Paul certainly has preaching in mind here, but the application is there for every Christian that whatever we do for God, we have to be adequate. Now, that word adequate, if you got that in your school report, you would be a bit disappointed, wouldn't you? It was just enough. You got 50%, you just passed. But it doesn't mean that here. This word adequate here means complete. It means capable. It means proficient. And that is what we are to be as we serve God. We are to be completely in it. Whatever it is that we are to do, we're doing it for God. We are to be capable at it. In other words, there's not much point in doing things that you can't do. It's a bit like me sitting on that piano and trying to play the, the final hymn. It won't work. And we are to be proficient. There is to be progress. There is to be prod productivity. We are to be trained. We are to be complete. We are to, as Paul would say in chapter 4 of, of this book, we are to do the work of an evangelist. As he would say in the book of Colossians, whatever you do, work at it with, with all your heart. It's Scripture that shapes our ministry and our service for the Lord. It is God's training, and we can't ever do without it. And just finally, the third element of this training, at the end of verse 17, says that we are to be equipped for every good work. Paul's encouraging Timothy to be trained in Scripture. He's encouraging Timothy to train others. He's saying we must be led and leading others to salvation. We have to be involved in good work for God. God's Word is the constant, the infallible companion that assists Timothy as he ministers. It is God's Word that provides the certification for what Timothy says. You know, if we were to go back a few hundred years in this country, 
It might even be in operation in other countries, but you would, if you wanted to preach the Word of God, you had to have a license to do it. You had to be licensed to preach. And there were many great preachers who had either their license revoked or didn't have a license in the first place. Take, for instance, John Bunyan. He kept getting thrown in jail because he preached the true Word of God, and yet he didn't have the proper license to do it. We have to be certified to serve God. But it's not a bit of paper that a university gives or even a church would give. We are certified by being faithful to God's Word. And you know, our knowledge of God's Word will be of no earthly use unless it leads us into this practical sphere. We have to develop a thirst for God's Word. The Beatitudes, he who hungers and thirsts after righteousness, what happens to them? Simply this, they will be filled. The more we hunger and thirst after God's Word, the more it will fill us and satisfy us. And so we should have a desire to do all of those things that God would have us do, to serve in the ministries that God calls us to do, to preach the truth of salvation to those who need it. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says this, for we, and he's not talking, Paul, here about human beings, he's talking about Christians, he says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Well, God's word prepares us to do the good works that God has in store for us. Let me tell you what a privilege it is to do these things. Some work in life is not really a privilege for us to do. But any work that is done for God is a privilege. It's a privilege to preach. It's a privilege to lead in praise and worship. It's a privilege to witness. It's a privilege to pray on behalf of. It is a privilege to be merciful to. It's a privilege to be Christ's representative in this world. And God's Word prepares us to be that. You know, Scripture can be read in many ways by many people. But the Christian that's you, that's me. If you've come to Jesus Christ this morning, you're a Christian. The Christian can only read it in one way, and that is in full submission to the authority of God's Word. You know, if we read it unwilling to surrender to what it says, then we are truly missing the important fact that this is God's Word. It has every jurisdiction over me. God's Word, the Bible, has authority to transform it has the authority to call you and bring you to salvation in Christ Jesus. God's Word, the Bible, has authority to teach because it fills the person of God with truth. It is wholesome. It is beneficial to us. And God's Word has authority. The Bible has authority to train because it perfects us, it completes us, it prepares us. Let me ask you this morning, have you come under the authority of God's Word? Or perhaps you're still trying to live according to your ways and your rules and your laws. God's Word is entirely, no qualification, 
It is entirely without fault because God himself is without fault. And so what Scripture says is perfect. What Scripture says is to be obeyed at all times. Every single one of us here this morning, we have to come under the authority of God's Word. Let's pray. Well, Father, sometimes these words are easy to utter, even easy to hear. But when we come to put them into practice, we encounter great difficulty, for we are proud, we are sinful, we are independent, we are self-sufficient, and we hate to be told what we must do. But, Father, we thank you that you are complete in your wisdom and that you are perfect in your authority to guide us and lead us, but also to command and to compel us to be in obedience. Your word tells us that we are all sinners, but equally it points all of us to a Savior who can be trusted to forgive us and to give us eternal life. Oh, bring us to Christ today. But may you teach us more of you. May you train us better to serve you. And may you conquer our rebellion and our self-sufficiency that we would do what you would require us. We remember that old hymn that says, All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. May that be our response to your word, not just today, but for the entirety of the remainder of our lives in this earth. For we do pray all of this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.